0: The Beatles, the Ninja Turtles, ABBA, the A-Team, the four from Sex and the City, Teletubbies, I guess. Those are some of pop culture's most famous foursomes. And now there's another famous group of four that you need to add to that list. And that is the four protective factors for shift workers. Sure, it's, it's, it's not that catchy. But it is definitely the most important group of four when it comes to protecting the mental health of your shift workers. Over the next two episodes, we're gonna break down those four factors and give you some facts, tips, tricks, and strategies for improving the lives of your shift workers through our very own set of the four horsemen of the mental health pocket yeah that doesn't work sleeping eating exercising and socializing welcome to make the shift the podcast from working well in wellington that helps regional shift workers and their employers work better beyond the nine to five There's a reason why we've put sleep first, and I'm sure you can understand why when you remember what our researchers, Linda and Helen said in episode one.
1: With all four organizations, the first thing when you ask them about shift work is fatigue.
0: The very nature of shift work means that we're gonna be sleeping when it's not traditionally sleep time and awake while everybody else is tucked up in bed. And while it's human nature to wanna to push through our body's natural sleep cycles, is that even possible? Well, time to bring in an expert.
2: So I am Dr. Jade Murray. I'm from Monash University and my primary field of research is a circadian misalignment and health and in particular mental health, but with a focus on shift work and the body clock misalignment that arises from
0: that. Dr. Jade's field of study refers to circadian misalignment, that is misalignment with your internal body clock that tells your body what systems to fire at what time of day.
2: One of the major parts of that is our sleep-wake cycle, and it's responsible for keeping that to a 24-hour cycle and synchronising that to the 24-hour day. We actually are only just beginning to understand how sleep and particularly our circadian clock um, and our body clock and the timing of that clock has such a big impact on not just sleep but
0: every element of health. So, time for a basic physiology lesson. Your body has some onboard systems that regulate your level of alertness based on what time of day it is. At nighttime, the signal to stay awake is decreased. But as we wake up, that signal increases across the day to make you feel alert and awake. It needs to increase too. We also have what we call homeostatic pressure that builds to sleep.
2: And so our signaling from our circadian system increases our alertness to sort of prevent any just
0: haphazard falling asleep at any given moment. So basically, the awake signal in your brain rises to wake you up in the morning, then rises again as you get more tired throughout the day until nighttime when it drops back off again. And I'll bet you can guess what that means for shift workers.
2: What they're doing is trying to work when that circadian system is at its very minimal for alertness. You're combating that lack of alertness signal And oftentimes what happens is that there's been limited sleep prior to that, that then means you're also fighting an increased uh, level of homeostatic sleep pressure or that drive to need to sleep.
0: So you're already sleepy and there's no signal coming from your brain to stay alert. But eventually you'll just adapt, right? Like night shift, it sucks in the beginning, but you get get used to it, right? Very rarely is there full
2: adaptation where they actually completely switch around their always fighting against that lack of alerting signal. And then conversely, during the day when they're trying to sleep, they're also combating that signaling for alertness. And it's why no matter how tired they sometimes feel after a night shift, sometimes they really struggle to sleep because their circadian system is telling
0: them it's time to be awake. And that is something our grad nurse Jules would definitely agree with. Working night shift makes it even more difficult to get to sleep during the day. Sometimes
1: I find it quite difficult to then wind down. Obviously working a day shift where I finish at 3.30, I actually have the time at night to wind down prior to going to bed. So those nights are obviously a lot easier to get to sleep compared to when I'm on the lates. It can take a bit just to, you know, you've been going all night on shift and you come home and you're like, oh, okay, now I can relax. But it just takes a bit to get there. Working after night shifts, I tend to go to sleep really easy, but it's very broken sleep all day. So it actually leaves me feeling a little bit hungover type feeling for the whole day because I just, it's so broken and it's not that continuous solid sleep that I would normally get in an eight hour overnight.
0: Being a nurse, Jules also has it the hardest out of a lot of different types of shift workers. After all, nobody will ever fully adapt to shift work but we do adapt partially. Not that Jules will ever get that chance though, because she works on a rotating roster, as Jade explains. One of
2: the key problems with shift work is high variability in shift rotations. Those who have more regular shift rotations, such as say four days on, four nights on, and then four days off, and that's a repeating sort of rotation tend to be able to adjust a little easier, if only for the fact that they know what's coming up. And it's also very dependent on the number of nights they do in a row as well. The more you do, the more you tend to be able to slowly adapt across that time. But of course, then that makes it more difficult
0: to shift back when you go back to day night. So the bad news is for shift workers, to some degree, they're always going to be fighting that body clock. And for shift workers with rotating rosters, it's going to be almost impossible to flick the switch from night to day. So what effect does this actually have on your body? Well, according to Dr. Jade, it's not about just feeling tired.
2: Basically what you're doing is sending kind of mixed messages to your body clock, because I guess you could imagine that all of those hormonal processes cascade from one another. And we're not entirely sure of all of those processes and exactly the mechanisms behind those processes, but essentially you're basically causing a little bit of confusion within those. So One of the typical things anecdotally shift workers can probably relate to is feeling hungry and their appetite and the changes that has in appetite. I mean, for most of us normally, we wouldn't ever feel the need to get up in the middle of the night and have something to eat because such is the process of our hormones that control appetite that we just don't feel hungry. But when we're awake, that all gets a little bit disturbed and suddenly we feel like maybe we're hungry or we eat. So that's one example of
0: sort of that disruption to that normal rhythm. Funny you bring that up, Jade. Everybody meet Associate Professor Maxine Bonham.
3: My name's Maxine Bonham. I'm an Associate Professor at Monash University in the Department of Nutrition, Dietetics
0: and Food. And I know what you're thinking. Oh yeah, here we go. Somebody is going to tell me to eat less takeaway and get more fruits and vegetables. And that's true, yes, but not exactly. You see, Maxine's not necessarily interested primarily in what you eat. But she's very interested in when you ate it:
3: I've always worked in studies where we 've given people meals and when we've followed their glucose and insulin responses to see if certain foods are better or, or worse or make your body respond differently. But it was working with the sleep group base, which is where I am located. And they started talking about the circadian disruption and how it can affect your body clock. And I started thinking, surely that couldn't impact nutrition. Surely it doesn't matter what time of the day you actually eat. And we did some initial studies where we gave people meals in the morning and meals at nighttime. And lo and behold, the body just does not metabolize food as well at nighttime. And that really, I think, was the first study that really started me down this pathway of looking into perhaps the timing of food as well as the the composition of the food we eat that may have implications for long-term health risks.
0: That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Maxine has found that there can be a huge difference in your ability to process food depending on what time of day it is. And again, as you'd probably expect, this isn't good news for shift workers either.
3: If, if we think about typically what happens, you sleep overnight and breakfast is the breaking of your overnight fast. So that's why it's breakfast. So you have your food in the morning. It fuels you for the day. And by the time you get to nighttime, your body's beginning to get ready to go to bed. So there's hormones, your sleepy hormone or melatonins starting to go up and you're starting to prepare for bed. So your body switches out of an eating mode to this fasting mode. So physiologically processes are changing. And suddenly what happens is you start adding in food at 10 o'clock, midnight, 2 a.m., 4 a.m. Your body's trying to sleep. And your liver and your kidney and your whole system is now going, oh my goodness, I've got all this food to deal with. I'm now going to have to start doing all these things that I like to do during the day and I don't do as well at night. And the responses you see are just exaggerated and longer.
0: Maxine has been doing a lot of work with shift workers, giving them meals at different times of the day and measuring their glucose and insulin levels to look at how effectively their bodies can process the food they eat. And it turns out the difference between eating during the day and eating at night can be pretty stark.
3: The study I mentioned earlier where we gave a meal in the morning and a meal at night time, in the morning, your glucose may go up and down really quickly as you break down the food. So within 30, 60 minutes, you may be back to your starting levels. At night time, after two or three hours, your, your glucose still could be up high. We left participants in our study with glucose levels that would Typically during the day, give you a diagnosis of pre diabetes, so an early stage risk for diabetes development. The responses at nighttime are just exaggerated because insulin usually controls our glucose, and at nighttime, it's, it just isn't as sensitive to dealing with glucose because our body's preparing to sleep.
0: So having a dodgy body clock is not necessarily just about feeling a bit tired at work. Instead, it affects a whole rush of chemicals around your body and brain that tells your body to start and stop basic functions at the right time, or in the case of shift workers, at the completely wrong time. And it's not good news for your long-term health either, both mental and physical.
2: That body clock misalignment and sleep deprivation is very much linked to depression And anxiety and stress. For a lot of people it can increase the risk of burnout. There's also lots of evidence linking shift work in particular and that sleep deprivation and or body clock misalignment to cancer, gastrointestinal problems, cardiovascular problems, lots of different biological and physiological diseases that it's been associated with as
0: well. A lot of those problems could stem from the fact that shift workers are also more likely to put on weight during shift work. And Maxine suspects it's not because shift workers eat more than day workers.
3: We find some shift workers don't actually have that much to eat at night because it induces digestive problems because, again, your body's doing something it doesn't really like doing at night time. So some people we found actually try and minimise food intake at night because it doesn't make them feel very well. I mean, this is, this is really rough data. So it looks like they may not be eating any more overall, which was why I got really interested in the timing because it makes you think if they have these increased risks of disease or more likely to put on weight, is it more about the type of food they're eating and the frequency and the timing of the food? It's not necessarily that more is eaten. It just could be that more is eaten at a time when our body is not quite as good at dealing with it.
0: So our body clock rhythms do, as far as we know, influence how well our body processes food. But the reverse is true too. Food can also have an influence on our levels of alertness, as anyone who's overdone it during Christmas lunch knows all too well.
3: There's been some really nice data that shows if you do have a big meal, do you want to go to sleep? So a group we work with over in South Australia have done this study where they've given a big meal or a little meal or no meal and then tracked people as if they were driving home after work. And people who had the big meal had more crashes. The other thing is if you've had a really big meal and then you're going to go home and want to go to sleep – Perhaps your body's going to spend quite a bit of time trying to digest your meal and the other part of you is trying to get to sleep. So you've got that sort of contradiction, again, across your your systems trying to do different things.
0: So the news is not great for shift workers, unfortunately. They're already up against their own body clocks. They now have to factor in whole new ways of eating and sleeping. And it's a point that Jade and Maxine are quick to acknowledge just how hard it is to do any of this stuff well maybe even harder than anyone first thought. And then you add in the fact that rural and regional areas aren't necessarily set up to support people working on hours and it becomes a pretty tough proposition. We talk
3: about having this amount of fruit and vegetables or getting water or having high fibre, but if you're a shift worker, you're in Lee Gasa. Say, where are you going to go at 3am in the morning where you have your meal break? What, what are your options? Unless you have been able to bring in food, have facilities to heat it up, you're probably looking at I don't know if you can get a a takeaway more remotely or potentially your workplace has a vending machine, which we know from experience are not necessarily filled with the best types of food. What's tasty, what's quick isn't necessarily the best options, but for shift workers, that actually may be your only option overnight for for certain workplaces.
0: And then on top of that, all the dietary and nutritional guidelines are also geared towards nine-to-fivers.
3: I think there's a sort of a rule of thumb that maybe you shouldn't eat at least three hours before you go to bed. So maybe that's a good rule to follow. But again, that's, that's a rule not for shift workers. So again, it's that sort of uh, situation where things are different and not really necessarily thought about. So an additional challenge all round.
0: Shift work isn't just a commitment during work hours, but also outside of them as well. One of the big things that shift workers might struggle with is getting their routine back into daytime hours on their days off. So much so that often for shift workers, it doesn't really feel like they've had a day off at all that's actually
2: probably the worst bit. They can manage to work and do the night shift and they find ways to cope. But when they get to their days off where they have to revert very quickly back to operating during the day, sleeping at night, that is all a bit messed up. And so they find that really frustrating that on their days off, they've just left with kind of no energy and motivation to, to function. And it's particularly hard for you know, the, some of the younger shift workers with families who also need to juggle all of that as well.
3: Your nutrition is quite poor. You probably don't have that lifestyle. You don't eat with your family. You don't necessarily pick your kids up from school. You can't do team sport. You can't go to the cinema with your friends because you're at work. So the the lack of sleep, the poor nutrition, the lack of physical activity is just really amplified in shift workers. It's what we see typically in populations anyway. But for these shift workers, when they're doing everything almost upside down, it it just adds that layer of complexity and has some health impacts.
0: So should shift workers be worried about all these impacts on their health? Well, not necessarily.
3: Rather
2: than being terrified of those things coming about, use it as a motivator to manage their sleep because whilst we'll never ever have it perfect for shift workers because it just is against the natural flow of how we are as humans designed to operate, We can manage it and make it better. The likelihood that for some people maybe shift work just really isn't for them and that's an individual decision to make. But there's certainly many ways of helping to improve the management of your sleep to greatly reduce the risk of any of those detrimental outcomes that I mentioned before.
0: As with everything in this podcast up until this point, it's a problem to be solved together with employees and employers working alongside each other to come up with solutions that work for each individual person and each individual workplace. Saputo Dairy Australia's Scott Rebecca, who we've been hearing from throughout this podcast series, is trying to do just that at the moment. He says that helping your shift workers to sleep better is a great place to start.
1: Sleep's probably one of the most important things you can do because if you're not getting good sleep, it impacts your mental health.
3: Your desire
1: to do exercise is diminished because you're tired. You tend not to want to cook because, or, or eat properly because you're tired and don't want to do it, so you end up eating junk food or whatever it may be. So sleep for, for us and for me is, is one of those such an important thing that has such a flow-on effect. It's certainly a key fundamental of, of overall well-being.
0: So if we start with improving sleep, what are some of the ways we can do that?
2: consistency and regularity is incredibly important to sleep. And I know that shift workers listening to this will go, oh my God, what a silly woman telling me that. But, you know, in normal night sleepers, day workers, if you can go to sleep, Approximately the same time every night, wake at approximately the same time every day, even on weekends as much as possible, you'll find that has a much greater impact on your health outcomes and your well being than how long you actually slept. And I understand that for shift workers, that can be really difficult, but they can introduce consistency in other ways as well. So when they're working night shift, going to bed. At approximately the same time every time they come home in the morning. Keeping their routines between each rotation as similar as possible and trying to maintain throughout any period of any given sort of schedule they're on as much consistency as possible will actually help improve their sleep and how they feel as well.
0: This is something that shift workers and employers can work on together how to structure rostering so that it's possible to get into a routine that can suit your workplace, your lifestyle and your workers. So a good first step as an employee is to start to get a handle on when you function best.
2: I guess have that sense of how refreshed you feel when you wake up, how well you feel you're functioning during the day, really how consistent you are on your normal bedtimes, how easy it is to fall asleep at night if you're jumping all over the place. If your normal bedtime is 11, but then you decide, oh, I'm going to go to bed at eight o'clock tonight and then wonder why you can't fall asleep. And then the next day potentially don't feel as good because you you had to get up earlier or something like that. I guess it's those things that will tell you that your sleep and your circadian rhythm is a little bit misaligned.
0: Not everybody is going to be able to function well at all hours of the day. And not everyone is going to have sleeping habits that align perfectly with the shifts that they have to do. But once you've got a handle on your own body's needs, you can start to sculpt your roster and your own sleep and wake schedule around the times that you function best. As for food?
3: I think it's a case of trying to cheat the system a little bit. So it might be having those foods that perhaps don't see as high a glucose response or actually trying to reduce the frequency of eating occasions across the night. If you could have your evening meal with your family, potentially, before you go in, that may set you up for a few hours overnight and then you need a smaller meal overnight. And that way you're trying to keep your usual body clock. If you're having dinner with your family and you have breakfast before you go to bed, you've sort of almost kept a consistent routine across the day. So any sort of sense of trying to keep that normal pattern, sort of trying to get some sort of semblance of normality is is, is good, but but difficult. And I, I acknowledge that.
0: And yes, of course, all the usual stuff about eating healthy that you've heard a million times.
3: Things like having some healthy snacks available in your drawer at work would be good. Minimising perhaps takeouts or takeaways if if that's something that you do regularly.
0: For Jules, she tries to eat healthy when she's on shift. But as a busy single mum, it can often be hard to find the time to get organised enough to make sure she's eating healthy, especially once she's organised something for the kids.
1: I am not above a nice chocolate binge at three in the morning to keep us going. <laughs> That's for sure. But, you know, like even sometimes I find it hard just if I'm not organized enough, then I tend to just take quick and easy snacks like a cup of noodles or something for dinner, which isn't. Ideal if I'm on a late and I've got to be back there in for an early. I haven't had that time to plan a proper lunch and things like that, or I'm eating out at the cafeteria and, and that. So yeah, sometimes yeah, depending on the actual shift, it can be a bit tough. But if I've got the time to plan, it's a lot easier. I I think trying to be as organised as I can be is the key for me, and making sure that I've sort of got some healthier snacks to take with me so that even if I'm just eating snacks for dinner rather than a proper meal, at least I'm having fruit and yogurt and things like that rather than chips and biscuits and things. I try to cook meals for my family while I'm not here, so I tend to take leftovers. I might have the same thing for two days in a row, but that's just how, how we try to manage it all.
0: Maxine says that despite the best laid plans, It can all go out the window if something changes.
3: It's interesting when we have all our shift work participants in, a lot of them have strategies and ways to deal with things. But if you get called in for an extra shift or it gets extended, it's out the window. So it's endless challenge.
0: So for employers, part of helping their employees manage some of these challenges might be to first understand that shift work imposes on people long after they've clocked off for the end of their shift. And that when workers eat, sleep and work is just as important as how. Because, as social worker Helen says, rostering was one of the key reasons people reported that they did or didn't cope with shift work. There were some people who would have loved to have done night shift for the rest of their lives. They were really, really night people. There are other people who would gladly avoid morning shifts
1: for the rest of their life. So, yeah, the whole thing about rostering was,
0: was the number one issue. And where people were happy with their rosters... They were generally feeling better about their work and themselves and their life in general. If you've got a good roster that takes your need for sleep and for socialization and eating well and exercising well into account, and your your body clock fits that cycle really well, then those people were coping with shift work a heck of a lot better than, than people who weren't. So if employees have a better understanding of what their body clock needs and how much sleep they need, they'll be better able to work with their employer on what rostering is gonna work both for themselves and their employer. But even if you give employees complete control over their rostering, there's nothing to stop them organizing a roster that suits their schedule, but not necessarily their body. That's where education comes in. Jade tells us about one instance working with shift workers where she helped them diarize just how much sleep they were scheduling for themselves.
2: And when they could see that on a calendar and say, oh, I did only get four hours sleep because I only gave myself four hours, it really hits home to them that maybe I do need to shift some of these things in order to prioritise sleep and make it fit better within what I'm doing.
0: So whilst listening to your employees is important, part of the solution might also be educating your workforce on ways to keep themselves healthy, because perception and reality don't always match up. Some people
2: think, oh, I'm fine on five hours because subjectively they feel fine. If you measure them objectively on things like reaction time, they're actually functioning much more poorly than they would anticipate. Making sure they're very well versed on all things sleep and everything related to that, managing exercise, diet, all of that in combination. From the employer's perspective, that cost is mitigated when you improve individual and employee happiness sleep, safety, all of that sort of thing, because ultimately it has implications for not only the individual, but the employer. If safety is not adhered to and and can't be because someone's so tired or really struggling, it's in the best interest of the employer as well to to offer
0: as much support as they can. For Maxine, that point around mitigating cost is a big benefit of taking nutrition for your shift workers seriously.
3: I think the stats say, your life expectancy is reduced by 10 years. And if that's not a wake-up call for anyone who employs shift workers, I potentially see in the US where they're so litigation mad, probably be able to sue your employer 20 years down the line because they've put you in a job that they know is going to reduce your life expectancy and give you a higher risk of getting chronic disease. So they absolutely need to think about those things.
0: So what do we do? How do we change people's sleeping and eating habits to help them live longer, get the best out of them at work, help their mental health, and reduce safety incidents and risk? For Maxine, she says that a lot of workplaces actually already have changes underway, but it's just that shift workers sometimes get forgotten about.
3: I think they they trial systems during the day where they've put out free fruit and veg, or free fruit actually, and the, the people who work during the day take it, but by the time the shift workers come in, it's all gone. So thinking about strategies that puts healthy food out at night, so putting out your fruit at seven o'clock at night so that people overnight can have it rather than, I think there's just this automatic assumption that everything's done for day
0: workers. And especially for workplaces in Wellington that are quite often out of town where there's nowhere to duck out for a quick bite to eat at 3am in the morning if you haven't brought anything. Providing those healthy options, or at least thinking about what people are going to eat while they're at work can really help. But maybe don't replace all the vending machines with healthy vending machines at once, according to Linda.
1: We'd actually recently changed the menu at CGH to be a Healthy Choices compliant menu. And we did it over about three years. And La Trobe Regional did theirs in about three months. And I remember one of the nurses getting really cranky and goes, oh, all I just want is a chocolate bar at 3am. That's all I want. So taking that
3: away really quickly impacted her. People are going to be worried about loss of choice, but If it's introduced and one by one the the healthier options get increased and the not-so-healthy ones get reduced, there will be a sort of a mindset change. But it almost feels like on that side of things it almost needs to be enforced and that's not necessarily what what people like. Sort of by stealth perhaps. Slowly over time might work.
0: For Jade, introducing good sleep into the workplace starts with good sleep habits or what they call sleep hygiene.
2: Really emphasising and putting it into practice making it a part of what they learn, emphasising that there actually is help available to manage. So not only with GPs, but also sleep physicians and sleep psychologists who are available to help manage these things. And sometimes they point out the obvious, they point out what you kind of already know, but that reinforcement of the best approach to help manage can be uh, really
0: valuable to someone who's struggling with their sleep or maybe there's even an opportunity for employers to introduce some sleep into the workplace have you ever thought about the classic power nap
2: there's opportunity for employers to offer during the night shift a short break that allows the individual to nap. And it only has to be short because we know that napping is best if it's kept to sort of 15 to 20 minutes because that avoids then shifting into deeper stages of sleep and you avoid waking up feeling really groggy and what we call sleep inertia, that horrible sick feeling you get. And it improves then the safety, the well-being of the employee, not only for the remainder of their shift, but then also perhaps their drive home, their commute home and their overall well being as well. I guess, importantly, that it doesn't have to be mandatory. Obviously, for some people, they don't feel the need that they provide sufficient space for that to occur and napping to happen, whether it's just an armchair in a private room or a mattress or something like that. And then discussing it with their employees and determining when is going to be the best time for you so it would be unfair to then have a schedule if you had 10 people on the roster for that night and to fit them all in you had to have start the first one at 11 o'clock when you only started his shift at 10 that's not fair
0: and of course with any change you implement it's really important to consult your workers not just before the change not just after the change but all the time
2: I think it was really important for employers to offer the opportunity on a reasonably regular basis to have these kinds of discussions with their employees to really get a sense from their employees what is most valuable to them. It's not enough to just go onto the internet and go, okay, this is a list of things as an employer I can do, bam, going to implement them you really need to tailor it to your workplace because the culture of the workplace is also really the driver behind how successful some of the implementation of those things can be and if you have a culture where if you don't introduce it in the right way dependent on your culture of workplace it won't succeed Uh, and the best way to succeed is to really have the import from the people who it matters to.
0: So for those of us who thought that shift work was just waking up and going to work, you might find that there's other factors going on in your body that you might not have that much control over. To those who don't do
2: shift work or might have that idea that it's not really that hard, they just need to think back to any time that they've had to wake up at two o'clock in the morning because they were catching a plane or something like that and how that awful groggy sick feeling that you get because you're awake at a time when you're not used to that that's the kind of thing that shift workers are operating with and probably particularly those in the less adrenaline fueled industries that's what they're fighting all the time and it is difficult mentally and it has an impact physiologically as well
1: it's a hard thing to describe to someone who hasn't done it even prior to doing it myself i was like oh surely it'd be all right to sleep through the day. But yeah, I think it's it's one of those things till you've done it, it's it's hard to explain to people. More broadly,
2: we are thankfully slowly moving towards a society that recognises that you're not the hero for sleeping four hours a night. In actual fact, if you can manage to fit your day in and also sleep eight hours a night, thereabouts, you're the hero not the other way around and that just warms my heart that we're slowly shifting towards that because it's so incredibly
0: important next time on making the shift we look at the other two protective factors that can really help influence your shift workers mental health exercising if,
3: if physical activity was the, the pill that would help improve health everybody would be taking it
0: and socialising
3: human beings are social beings
0: Make the Shift is a podcast produced as part of the Working Well in Wellington toolkit by Wellington Primary Care Partnership and funded by WorkSafe's WorkWell Mental Health Improvement Fund this podcast was recorded in Gippsland on the traditional lands of the Gunai, Kurnai and Bunurong peoples it was produced by Jetstreamer and voiced by Chris Blumridge for more episodes search for make the shift on apple podcasts spotify and wherever else you get your podcasts for more information about the working well in wellington initiative or to download the toolkit visit maketheshift.org.au